Good morning, church. As many of you already know, Walter and Kathy are in Durango, Colorado with many of our other couples um, for the annual couples retreat. So we definitely uh, want to remember to continue to lift them up in prayer as they travel back uh, today. I want to extend uh, the sincerest and richest of of welcomes to those of you who are visiting this morning. Uh, We are so glad to have you. You are certainly our honored guest. We also pray that you will stick around uh, for our Bible classes and let us get to talk with you and let us get to know you as well. Uh, This morning, as I stand before you, it's interesting because uh, the individual standing up here every Sunday is the one that's giving the sermon or the lesson, and yet it's the richest of blessings and honors to be able to do that, uh, to be able to be a student right along with you, uh, to be able to learn the things that God is going to speak over our hearts and minds this morning. And so with those things being said, it is uh, my hope and prayer that the things that God speaks over our lives this morning uh, will touch our hearts, uh, will move us to continue to be men and women of action uh, for the sake of God's kingdom, for the cause of his kingdom, uh, and most certainly for his honor and glory. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you confessing that we are able to enter into your presence only because of the blood of Jesus, only because of your goodness and your graciousness and mercy to us. And Father, we want to honor and praise you so much for those things. Father, we confess that oftentimes we are people who are short-sighted. And so, Father, as we open your word this morning, our prayer is a bold one that you would reveal things to us that we have not yet seen, that you would remind us, remind us of things that we perhaps have forgotten. And, Father, we know that your spirit is going to provide the deepest amount of conviction. And so, Father... um, we pray that we would accept that conviction, that we would embrace it, that we would continue to be people who run into your arms. Father, we pray that today that our singing, that the scripture, that the message from your word would all exalt you. Father, we pray that you would be the one receiving all the honor and glory. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1990s, the company known as Magic Eye turned images like the one that you see here into this worldwide craze. People were purchasing these images left and right. But they're not just any ordinary images because they contain a hidden image within the bigger image. There are even certain directions that you're supposed to follow to be able to see the hidden images. As much as everyone around me loved these images, I hated them. I couldn't stand them because I could never see the hidden images. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I wanted to see the image, it wouldn't work for me. In the image that you currently see, the only reason I know what you're supposed to see is because I looked it up. I did try for a little bit to see the hidden images, With no luck. If you think you can see it, you can tell me after service and I'll let you know if you're right. I can see some of the details of the image. 
But I can't see the bigger picture. I can't see all of it. And that's what we're going to discuss this morning. Not being able to see the bigger picture that God does. But this morning it's going to be a little bit of a twist. Because we're going to talk about the fact that it really doesn't matter. That we're not able to see the bigger picture that God does. Now I realize some of you may be sitting there thinking Christians are supposed to see the bigger picture. And I would say yes and no to that. And so hopefully you'll hang in there this morning as we talk about this. We are a people that are constantly consumed. We're consumed with knowledge. We're consumed with control. We're consumed with knowing what the plan is. We want to be in control and we don't know how to respond when we're not. I can certainly relate to this. We want to know the outcomes of situations. In fact, we seek to be a people that are intentional about trying to control the outcomes of situations. But do we serve a God who has promised us anywhere in Scripture that we're going to see everything that he does? Do we serve a God who has promised us anywhere in Scripture that we are going to get all the answers that we want? This morning, we're going to address and unpack a great deal, but there are three main realities that we're going to wrestle with as we look at our text this morning. Number one, do we recognize that we haven't been designed to see the bigger picture that God does? Number two, do we recognize that we have been designed to trust God over what we can't see, what we don't know, And in fact, what we may never know. Number three, do we recognize that fully trusting God is a bumpy journey with ups and downs and everything in between? A bumpy journey of ongoing transformation. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. What we read just comes on the heels of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up on a mountain for this memorable An incredible scene. Most of us know it as the transfiguration. It was so incredible that in verse 5 of Mark 9, Peter basically says to Jesus, we want to stay here. We want to stay on this mountaintop. And yet Jesus understood that life was not intended to be lived on the mountaintop. Especially after sin entered the world. Mountaintop experiences are indeed wonderful. But oftentimes we are people who don't know how to respond and don't know how to live 
once mountaintop experiences pass. And they do pass. The next two pictures that you see are tremendous reminders of two of the greatest mountaintop experiences of my life. And the Lord was all over both of them. Ruth Chris Steakhouse in Bellevue, Washington was the location of me and Sunshine's first date. In that first date, I told her that I wanted to marry her. And many people have asked, is that true? And it is true. And many people have said, we think you're crazy. And my simple response is, can you really argue with the results? However, Sunshine would tell you that the Lord still had a lot of work to do in her heart and her mind to convince her of what I knew to be true. The other picture is of the Purple Cafe in Kirkland, Washington. It's where Sunshine and I shared a meal before I proposed. On December 18, 2010, the best mountaintop experience of my life occurred, right behind becoming a Christian. The following words were part of my vows that I spoke to her. I will daily make the decision to honor you above myself and put your needs and desires above my own. On December 18, 2010, it was very easy to say these things during the mountaintop experience of being in Maui, marrying a woman that God had given me from his own hands. However, it has been much more difficult to live those vows in the messiness of life. In uncertain times, in times when I want to be selfish, in times when I am selfish, and in times when I want what I want more than what God wants and more than what she needs, I have and continue to fail miserably off the mountaintop And yet Sunshine is extremely gracious in her forgiveness of me. And what's more, God is even more gracious in his forgiveness of me. Up on that mountaintop in Mark 9, prior to coming down, Jesus understood that life with God isn't intended to provide us all the answers that we want. Rather, life with God is intended to provide us all the answers that we need to live in the midst of the messiness. It was no coincidence that right after this incredible mountaintop experience, Jesus, Peter, James, and John encountered this extremely messy situation, a situation that was not going to be solved with human wisdom or human power. And when Jesus and his disciples came off the mountain, it wasn't just the mess of the man with the unclean spirit that confronted them. It was also the mess of Jesus' closest followers being ineffective in providing help for this father and son, especially in light of the fact that they had been able to cast out demons prior to this time. Jesus just isn't feeling a tremendous amount of frustration He verbalizes this frustration to everyone around him. However, one of the interesting things about Jesus in this passage is that he does not allow his frustration to render him powerless or ineffective. We can imagine the deep concern that Jesus must have had regarding his closest followers. How were these men 
these men going to change the course of the entire world when they couldn't even keep themselves close enough to God to see that it was going to be his power to change and not their own. And then the crowd. They had no belief that the situation could be reversed. In all of this, Jesus didn't allow himself to suffer with what oftentimes is called paralysis by analysis. In that moment, Jesus wasn't inactive because of all that faced him and what seemed like insurmountable odds. Jesus didn't allow the despair of an unbelieving generation to render him powerless, nor to render him ineffective. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Jesus took action about the situation that most immediately confronted him. He didn't sit in complacency and complain and analyze the situation. He moved. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Paralysis by analysis makes us men and women of inaction. It's easy to complain. I don't like this about the church. I don't like this about my family. I don't like this about my husband or wife. I don't like that person. Here's a sobering question for all of us that we need to allow to sink deeply into our hearts and minds. What corner of the world is being changed because of God's action in you? What corner of the world is being changed because of God's action in us? Is your marriage being changed for the better because of God's action in you? Is Netherwood Park being changed for the better because of God's action in you? Is this youth ministry here being changed for the better because of God's action in you? What about your work environment? What about your school? What about your family? We haven't been created to be victims or spectators in this world. We aren't always going to be able to see the bigger picture that God does. But we have been designed to be people who trust in obedience and in action the God over what we can't see and what we don't know. The next picture or pictures shows Sarah Miller. She's a young woman with the little boy and girl in the upper right-hand corner and lower left corner. She knows all about not seeing 
the bigger picture that God does. While also choosing to allow God to change a corner of the world through her. In the midst of a lot of mess. She is the founder of a house on Beekman. In writing about her, Nathan Deerdorf says the following, Sarah Miller's job isn't just a career, it's a way of life. She runs a house on Beekman, a nonprofit organization in the poorest part of America, the South Bronx. Its purpose is to join God in the renewal of the South Bronx. Sarah says the following about herself. What motivated me to move to the South Bronx was my relationship with God. She was studying acting in college at NYU, but two years into college, she felt that her actions and her faith weren't lining up. That corner of the South Bronx is being changed because of God's action in her. And she would readily admit she rarely sees the bigger picture that God does. But that's a great story. But what about you and me? Are we men and women of God that are content to applaud her efforts as a modern-day missionary? Are we men and women of God that are content to send money and support to our missionaries outside of Albuquerque? Are we men and women of God who say, that's a wonderful story, but it really doesn't convict me to do anything when I walk out those doors? Are we men and women of God who realize that the word missionary never once occurs in the pages of Scripture? You may sit there and say the concept does, and I would say I would agree with you. The concept missionary occurs for all men and women of God. Because when men and women have committed themselves to the mission of Jesus... They are on mission for the kingdom of God. Regardless if they're in Albuquerque, in Rio Rancho, in Bernalillo, in Edgewood, it doesn't make a difference. Missionaries for God enter foreign culture to bring the mission of God. Can you, can we identify what corner of the world is changing because of God's action in us? Oftentimes when we don't see the bigger picture that God does, we go in search. We go on a quest. We go on a quest for answers. We go on a quest for clarity. We go on a quest for solutions. And what's interesting and sad is that we go to all of these different sources rather than the source. Our friends, our family, our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm sure you all could come up with Many more answers. And don't get me wrong, I don't believe that God is saying it's wrong to go to these people. And yet, as much as my wife loves me and I love her, neither one of us created this universe. Neither one of us is all powerful. Neither one of us is all knowing. What we can do for each other is beautiful and as gorgeous and as encouraging as those things may be. They're nothing compared to what God can do and what God will do. Make no mistake about it, God shows up every single day and in every single moment of every single day. But the question is whether or not we are going to continually go to Jesus 
as the source. This disappointed, helpless, hopeless father chose to go to the source when all other sources disappointed, including the disciples. Going to the source rather than other sources will always be a life changer in ways that we never dreamed or imagined possible. This man didn't know what Jesus was going to do. This father didn't know if the unclean spirit was going to be driven out of his boy. If we need a reminder of this, look at what he says in verse 22. He even questions the desire and the capability of Jesus to do anything for them. And yet, he brings himself before the source. He even says, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. I've often wondered, what exactly does that statement mean? And how does it play itself out in my life? This father is making this magnificent statement and plea that revolves around the following. God will fill in the gaps that are lacking in our faith. But note that the object of our faith matters greatly. Even the strongest faith in a weak bridge will get you wet. But even the weakest faith in a strong bridge will get you to the other side. I oftentimes think we hold up these men and women in God's word who followed the Lord closely as idols in our own hearts and minds. After God made these fantastic promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is found to have lied. Not once, but twice. About Sarah being his sister rather than his wife. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we find this incredible story, sad story, a tragic story of David. David, who chooses to be an adulterer, who chooses to be a murderer, who chooses to be a liar... And yet he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. We applaud both of these individuals and so many more for their great faith. And while I don't want to discount this because God's word does say that, what about applauding and adoring the incredible God of their faith and our faith? Never have I in 37 years of living understood the principles of not seeing the bigger picture and God filling in the gaps of my faith that's lacking than over this past year, beginning September 9th of 2015 through January 2nd of 2016. And the results continue to be ongoing. Sunshine and I participated in a beautiful but gut-wrenching process of prayer regarding something that we wanted versus what God wanted. On January 2nd, 2016, we received God's final answer of no. And to say that we were crushed and devastated doesn't even begin to capture the emotions that we experienced. I was angry. She was angry. Why had we gone through this process? Had we missed something? 
What lessons was God trying to teach us? Why did it appear as if he was being cruel to us? We both have many questions, even today, and very few answers. Even on January 2nd, God was filling in some big gaps that he knew were important to be filled. Because it just so happened when we received the answer on January 2nd, we were in Colorado Springs visiting close friends of ours, Grant and Dixie Thomas. But Sunshine, don't be- Sunshine and I don't believe that was a coincidence because they were able to pray with us and pray for us and pray over us. They listened to our hearts. They spoke words of life and encouragement over us. And in the days immediately following January 2nd, on many separate occasions, I sat with Curtis Burnett and Luis Laredo in my office, pouring out my heart and weeping because I didn't understand what God was doing. And I was very frustrated with what God was doing. Here's what I did and do understand, though. Even now, with many of my questions still remaining and the abundance of my lack of understanding and my dislike, quite honestly, for God's revealed answers, I know that my father sees and understands a much bigger picture than I do. I know that he's going to continue to show up. I am confident that he is going to continue to fill in the gaps where my faith is so glaringly lacking. And the beautiful thing is that he wants to do this for all of us and for all of humanity. Verse 28 of Mark 9. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If the story ended in verse 27, it would still be an incredible story. It would be stunning. And yet in private, Jesus' disciples asked him, why couldn't we do this? What was the issue? What was the problem? And Jesus' response is so simple and yet so life-changing and earth-shattering. How had these disciples, these Jesus followers, how had they missed this? No doubt that they totally felt foolish after Jesus spoke. And yet, I can't answer for you, but for me, I can relate to them. Notice that Jesus doesn't point to seeing the bigger picture that he did. Jesus pointed to the power that is found in prayer. Well, we haven't been designed to see the bigger picture that God does, we have been designed to maintain intimate contact with him. Power in mission disappears when communion with the source becomes an afterthought. There are gigantic differences between being exposed to Jesus versus embracing him. These disciples had been exposed to Jesus, and in many ways, they really had embraced him. But they had forgotten to embrace and commune with him in that time. And in that moment, in doing God's work, in doing kingdom work, these disciples had somehow lost sight of God's power to change, God's ability to transform. 
and the wonderful gift of communion that they had been given. In talking about why churches lose sight of their mission from God, Rick Ashley says the following, What keeps most churches inside their walls is not a lack of funding or resources, not a lack of knowledge, and not a lack of opportunities. It's a lack of passion. We lose our amazement at Jesus and his grace. We forget the wonder of our own salvation. We forget that we deserved hell and God rescued us. When you lose amazement at Jesus and his grace, you lose passion for people and most importantly, God's mission. May we be people here at Netherwood Park who in our homes, who in our relationships, in our families, in our schools, and the multitude of contexts that he has blessed us with, who always go about maintaining close and intimate contact with the source. May those things be the reason why we can't help but be people who are constantly on mission with the power of God residing within us. So what can I do? What can we do? Well, God hasn't promised us moments in time. The moments that he has given us are here, and they will come, the good and the bad and everything in between. Now we can just choose to sit in the comfort of these pews and these walls, lamenting how sad and dark this world is, while looking forward to heaven, or we can be men and women who rise up. We can rise up like disciples of Jesus Christ that God has created us to be and embrace the good and bad of life and everything in between. Asking the following questions, what does God want me to hear? What does God want me to see? What does God want me to learn? If we don't have all the answers about this world and about eternity, which we don't, then perhaps we should slow down and close our mouths and open up our hearts and minds and ears to what God wants, not what we want. As we do this, we learn how to be people who put one foot in front of the other we, because we are following his lead and not our own. Finally, we can be people who practice God's presence rather than practicing the presence of problems and circumstances. Sounds great, but what does it mean to be people who practice God's presence? What if we became a people who didn't always come into God's presence wanting something, asking for something, speaking? This is where I'm at. This is what I need. What if we became a people who went into the presence of God to just be still and just listen and just adore him? Perhaps not seeing the bigger picture wouldn't matter as much. You don't see the bigger picture? Join me and the rest of the human population. We haven't been designed for this. We have been designed to trust on a sometimes very bumpy journey. 
this morning as we were about to stand and sing and walk through the doors. Let us be people who gladly and willingly let God handle the bigger picture. Let us be people who gladly and willingly follow his lead. Walk in his steps. Netherwood is a praying congregation. Netherwood's a loving congregation, an encouraging congregation, a supportive congregation. But we understand we have a long, long ways to go to be what God wants us to be and what he has created us to be in all of those areas. We would consider it a great honor to pray for you and to pray with you. As we stand and sing, we would ask that you let us know of anything that you would like us to pray for. If you want a brother or sister to pray for you, be intentional about grabbing them after this service and letting them know that. We are on this journey together. And it's a beautiful journey, but it's not always an easy one. So as we stand and sing this morning, let us remember, it's okay that we don't see the bigger picture. Please stand with me as we sing. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd king.